Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise, and thank you very much for tuning in today for a little bit of Texas history. Today, we're going to continue with part two of the interview of retired Texas Ranger Senior Captain Tony Leal. The feedback on part one has been fantastic, and I think you're going to like part two just as much. If you haven't listened to part one, uh, go back to the last episode released a little over a week ago and check out part one of the interview. And uh, please enjoy part two of the interview with retired Texas Ranger Tony Leal. Okay, we touched on the history of the Rangers earlier. I want to talk a little bit more about that. How do you, in your opinion, uh, how does the the 200-year history of the Texas Rangers influence the organization today? Well, I I think that the 200, you know, the 200 years of history influence it with a great deal of pride, admiration, and you've heard other people say this, to leave it better than you found it. Uh, I, there's a very strong uh, uh, spirit of core within the Ranger Division. Um, they uh, follow a lot of tradition that doesn't go through sometimes the rest of the department, you know, and, and I don't mean that in, in, in holding on to old things that need to go. I mean those in traditions where uh, I've heard, say, a, a, a DPS narcotics agent. It's not a bad thing. It's how they do things. But I've heard them call their captain by their first name. Okay, John, thanks. That would never happen in the Ranger Division because in the highest now we call them majors now okay but a but a company commander is what a ranger major is right company commander and uh if we talked about how they broke up into companies uh we hadn't yeah we're going to talk about that okay. for sure so but a, a company commander is in charge of that company all right it's a geographical area of the state and so the highest rank in the day was captain for those company commanders and then one captain would be selected as the senior captain senior captain and if people that have been in the military will know that you can within a a division in the marine corps army whatever you can have several captains and have one captain that's a battalion commander right and they would refer to that guy as the senior captain so he doesn't need necessarily have to make major, but he's the senior captain, which is in command of those other captains. So the Rangers are very much tied to that kind of structure, right? To this day, uh, the Rangers of old time, and I say old time, my time, <laughs> uh, that are still working and that are retired will refer to me as senior or senior captain. You know, when the, the DPS title for it is chief, for other divisions of that rank, or even assistant director. Now, nobody calls the ranger chief the assistant director of DPS, an assistant director of DPS. They call him chief. Most of the newer generation does. But sometimes you'll hear, I, if I get a call right now from anybody, from rangers that work for me, they'll call me senior captain. Joe Harrelson still calls me captain, you know, because I was his captain. And, and that was traditionally a higher rank. Uh, so I tell people, you got to think about it like Navy versus Army. A, a captain in the Navy is the same rank as a colonel in the Army. If you're a captain in the Army, if, you're, if you don't know the history, you would think, well, a captain in the Navy and a captain in the Army is the same rank, and they are not. You know, A captain in the Navy is much higher, admiral being that of a general, and a captain in the Navy being that as a full colonel. You know, and then you, you, anyway, so there's these rank structures, right? So those are the kind of traditions I'm talking about in the Rangers, you know, that, you know, we still were, uh, unless you're deployed, you're still going to see the Rangers in a suit and tie. You're going to see them with their uh, pistol where you can see it. And you're going to see them with their badge pinned to their shirt, you know, which is expensive because you ruin shirts, you know, your whole career. But it's such a tradition that there's no other 
there's no other way to do it, you know? Well, let's, uh, let's digress a minute and talk about those companies you mentioned, because I, I don't think we've been through that. So the Rangers, as a division of DPS, has 100-some-odd uh, – there are 100 and – Right at 160 right now. 160, 160 Rangers around the state. They break up into companies that are lettered. A through F, A through F, if I recall. And so in Houston, for example, was Company A. So when you were the captain. Um, company A commander. You were Company A commander, which includes Liberty County, where you started. Exactly. Um, and so the each company has a geographic region, like none, not unlike a Court of Appeals district. And uh, you're the captain for that region. So you know, it's, it's funny you say that because way back in the day, the companies were more in line with the court. Mm-hmm. jurisdictions mm-hmm. so if you would look at you know the, the the state district courts in one area those would be the outlines of say company a and then we would work with those da's that reported to the same district judges right uh so when i was when i was ranger in seguin we weren't aligned with anything else other than hey i have a da who is over hallettsville gonzalez seguin and columbus so that was my area. But that didn't correspond with anything else in the state as a, as a line of emergency management, right? Right. But, but that's who we worked with. That's how, it was, that's how it was set up. So, you know, back in about 08 or 09, they, they split it up and said, hey, we're still going to have the six companies plus the headquarters company, but we're gonna, they're going to be the same as all the other state emergency management lines. So, you know, in... in our companies matched everybody else because we were started so early that our line stayed with the judges lines with the DA's lines and they were over run by other DPS highwood everybody else had different lines you know so they changed that but they're still the original companies six of them with a few uh, like one example when I was the captain in Houston I did not have Brian uh, or Brian would have been part of the Waco company. But when they changed the lines, Brian came under company A and out of company F, and that matches the emergency management lines. All right. But it's still six companies company A's in Houston, company B in Dallas, company C in Lubbock, company D in is Waco, used to be in San Antonio, but that's moved through the lines we're talking about. Uh, Midland moved to, to El Paso. Um, and Lubbock. And then you have the headquarters company, which is Travis County and uh, Austin headquarters there at Lamar. And then you have a company now on the border dedicated. Well, that's, that's, that, that was a company G, which we had seven companies for about two years. Oh, and they disbanded it. They disbanded that and said, no, we're going with the original six, you know, and staying that way. So you, you have a company commander now in D, which used to be in San Antonio, who is now down in McAllen. And company F, because of the way the lines we're talking about, company F's out of Waco and encompasses San Antonio. And you know what that really shows is as, as, the, as the state has evolved, when you, when you change a state, a society, any community, your law enforcement needs evolve with that. And one of the great things about the Rangers is they've evolved with those needs, yeah. uh, for better or worse. Sometimes it hadn't been so good, but they, uh, that, that's an in- incredible asset for a state right. to have an organization that can be so flexible and meet those needs because their standards are so high. There's right. nothing you can't learn. I remember, uh, I think this is right, that maybe the first, first non-FBI agent to go through the, the profiling training was a Texas Ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things like that are really really important one of the things you mentioned the statute uh about the jurisdiction of the rangers was uh there's a part of that statute that says something about a district judge being able to order rangers to serve civil process so i used to threaten cleet buckaloo when he was captain of company a <laughs> that he was going to be serving subpoenas, subpoenas. <laughs> if he wasn't nice to me but uh that's a lot of fun all right well i want to get into um some nitty-gritty of the ranger career and see what i can pull out of you because there's always good stories who were some of your mentors as a young ranger i mean early on uh in fort bend county uh jim peters uh milton wright who i later i didn't get to work with jim but 
at the end of his career, before he became sheriff, I got to work with uh, with Milton. Um, Dan North, who was a ranger captain years and years ago in Houston. Uh, Grady Sessoms. Uh, but my real admiration of rangers, they were more like um, people, those people I mentioned before were people I knew of um, and looked up to by my real admiration for rangers and when I really evolved into thinking okay this is something I maybe can do or I want to do was when I got to San Antonio and in San Antonio I worked with uh, Captain Jack Dean who if you people say this it kind of sounds corny but literally if you went to Hollywood and said we need a guy, we need an actor that looks like, walks like, talks like a Texas Ranger. It would have been Jack Dean. He was probably 6'3", uh, our age now, you know, 50-ish when I met him. In the shape that he, you'd think he was 30, gray-headed, you know, and just looked and walked and talked like a Texas Ranger, you know. I, I met Ray Martinez there. Uh, I met Al Cuellar there, uh, Rudy Rodriguez there, Gary De Los Santos. Um, and so two things for me, and I don't usually get, but it, it was, it was, I got to know Rangers one-on-one because of my rank of Sergeant. And once you make Sergeant, you're working with them more than say a road trooper. Because when they need assets from the highway patrol, that's who they're working with. So you're working more with them on their um, requests and that. And uh, and also because unlike what some people like to think, I just named, I think, five Hispanic Rangers who were working in San Antonio when I got there, yeah. you know, and uh, were very famous Rangers and had worked, you know, for years and working for Jack Dean, you know, and and uh, Jack Dean was a legendary border ranger who had worked for AYLE, you know, all these really old names of, 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 of rangers. And I had, if we have time, I'll tell you, like, what, when I made, something happened while the first year that I was a ranger, or the first year that I was a highway patrol sergeant in uh, San Antonio, and that is that a crazy guy took over in Waco, and there was a big siege there. So that was 1993. And so all the Rangers... You're talking about David I'm Koresh. About Koresh. Yeah. yeah. So all the Rangers were sent there. You know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, while the FBI worked the hostage negotiations, when they left, they left it to the Rangers. The Rangers worked that crime scene. They were there for days. They, you know, that's who worked that crime scene. I think you've talked about it before. Many of the... the we've learned a lot from the FBI, but the FBI has the Rangers come teach them on a lot of stuff, crime scene, uh, because of our the area and how we have to work crime scenes here is so different than everywhere else. Uh, but that's, yeah. So, but anyway, '93, all the Rangers, every one of them, in every company was sent to Waco, and they left one Ranger behind at each um, headquarters, San Antonio being one of them, to kind of just take care of stuff. And one of the guys that stayed back against his will was Al Cuellar. He's gone now, uh, but he was just one of the best men I've ever met, you know? And uh, I'm gonna keep going back and forth on stuff, but I, I, at, there was a young lady who was going to the University of Texas at San Antonio who was attacked by someone in the parking lot, raped and stabbed. And like I was talking about earlier, sometimes, in the colleges or the universities, they have a lot of big police force, but they may not have, you know, detectives. And it's much more better now than it was. I'm talking about 20 years ago, 1993. So this, the governor, I think it was Briscoe at the time, called Jack Dean and told him, hey, he knew the parents of the daughter and it wasn't that much going on with it. And he said, I need to get a ranger over there you know and uh so it turned into a big deal and uh al Cuellar 
needed help and he went to Jack Dean I'd been there for about a year worked on worked with him on manhunts and other stuff and uh, he asked Jack Dean these are his words he said he went to see Jack Dean he said hey I need help on this case it's too big I got a bunch of people to watch interview look through records because we had a partial license plate they had a partial license plate and Al Cuero says you think I could use that little Mexican highway patrol sergeant <laughs> that's stationed across the hall it's pretty sharp and Jack Dean says yeah let me talk to his captain so he goes to talk to my captain and says hey can we take Leal from your highway patrol and assign him to the to Al Cuero during this investigation I was 28 years old and I thought it was the neatest I mean, I, nothing could happen to me at 28 years old that was, you know, uh, better than that. Anyway, we ended up solving this murder. We ended up arresting the guy. He, he had, had just got out on parole. And so those things, working with those guys and that happening uh, led me. You asked me when I knew that I had become a ranger, and we talked about that. But knowing, knowing exactly when I decided I needed to be a ranger, that I wanted to be a ranger, that I had to be a ranger, was during that time. And then, uh, and Captain Dean, we just lost Captain Dean within yes, the last year. He had he went on to be the U.S. Marshal for the Western District. Yeah. So he had a whole other career as whole a federal career. marshal. Because and he I was think so there's well only respected. been two modern day people to do that. I think uh, uh, Captain Peoples, Jackie Peoples, it was a Conroe uh, guy, and, and Jack Dean that were. Um, appointed as marshal and, and to Jack's credit he he got appointed to marshal and worked under democratic administrations and republican administrations they didn't didn't remove him while he was there well as a young ranger when you made ranger who did you uh look up to uh david maxwell um uh lc wilson uh milton wright uh i was a com- i came to company a as a very young ranger, and uh, those are the guys that um, uh, I looked up to as my mentors. I still look up to David Maxwell as a mentor. Uh, you know, to tell you a little, you know, uh, people that don't know David Maxwell, he's one of the whistleblowers right now. That's you know in the middle of the things with uh, with what's going on in Austin. So I mean, he's just a man of integrity, a man of uh, high belief and 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 just one of the best investigators i've ever uh they've done they've done articles about him uh as you know calling him the human lie detector you know because he <laughs> and he teaches uh a lot on uh, interrogation interviewing techniques and things like that but just a, just and, and joe harrelson joe harrelson was was a ranger here it's still a ranger so he outlived me in the division. I think he told me yesterday he's going on. He he made Ranger. He made Ranger in 1982. You know, so uh, 42, 43 years now, um, 41. Uh, so those were. I really came into a, a place where there were just Rangers from the, that had come in from old school into new school. I got to work with both. Um, and uh, just really, I, I tell people, I, I got to work with my heroes. They were, they were just such good people. And you, uh, you eventually made Ranger Captain. Um, so, and, and then, of course, as I introduced you, you were the senior captain or the chief, as they call them now. How, what's the process? How do you promote within the Texas Rangers? How does that work? So the, the process up into Captain not not chief but through captain is the same process we talked about before a captain retires all the lieutenants are eligible and it's the exact same process again you go take that written test which is more elevated than the first one and you know this the division so small that all the lieutenants are going to qualify you know unless they're they don't have to take it but if but you're qualified so you have to have two years as a lieutenant uh, to become a captain. So if you're a, a lieutenant, you have two years. Again, then it comes back to you take that written test. Um, there's no background uh, done per se, but there is your captain's recommendation 
to the chief on who should be. And then they do another interview process. And that interview process is unlike the other one that it usually is the chief of the Rangers or assistant chief and captains that are interviewing you because you're going to become one of them. You're going to become one of the few, there's only six company commanders. So you're going to become one of those six, which is like a very, think about the Rangers. There's only 160 out of the department. And then out of those 160, let's say there's only 30 lieutenants. And out of those 30 lieutenants, there's only six cap, you know, company commanders. So each time you go up, it becomes slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, you know, until you get to that top position. That's the slimmest of them all, right? Um, so each jump like that, it's the same process. Now, when you make chief, that is, let's say a chief re- retires or leaves, then that is an appointment. You know, and you're considered by, you're interviewed by the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, the, could be the chairman of the Public Safety Commission, different times, uh, and even to the point of meeting with the governor or talking to the governor about it before you're promoted or appointed chief. So where did you serve as a lieutenant? You went from uh, what was called sergeant yes, then, sir. everybody was a sergeant, right. um, to lieutenant. Where did you serve then? So I went... Uh, to Austin headquarters and I was Austin headquarters um, lieutenant and then from while I was there uh, the position of commander which was a lieutenant's rank commander of the cold case unit it was a new unit that was made by the uh, uh, legislature I believe in 2000 uh and I was a second commander. Deary Los Santos had commanded that and made captain. When he left, I transferred from Austin to 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 be the commander of the cold case unit. And then from there, made captain. And from there, I made captain. When you made captain, what company were you in charge of? A Houston. So my my career as a as a field ranger started in Houston, uh, and my my career as a company commander was in Houston. I felt right at home. All the guys that I just listed um, ended up under my command. The guys that were my mentors when I came in in 94, Joe Harrelson, David Maxwell, all those people. And uh, where somebody may think, well, that's hard or you shouldn't be able to do that. I had such respect for them and they had such respect for me um, that it was easy. It was easy to do, you know. And then you uh, became the se- then called senior captain, now called chief of the Rangers. Win. I became so I became company commander in Houston in '05, and I was promoted to uh, chief of the Rangers in '08. '08, and I'll say it because because uh, you're too humble to say it. You were the first Hispanic chief of the Texas Rangers in Texas history. Correct. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So ground and the uh, you were the youngest chief. Ever in the history of the DPS. That's correct. Which is quite an achievement. Um, all right. Well, I want to ask you kind of a historical question now. We talked about your mentors and all the great people you've worked with. What Rangers from history do you wish you had known or worked with? Having now retired as a Ranger, you understand what a Ranger is and what who are some of the characters, uh, the Texas Rangers from history that you wish you'd have known? I'm not going to go with, with the names that maybe some, you know, like you, I study history a lot. I think some of the guys I would want to know, I would want to know Major John B. Jones, who kind of is kind of like the father of the change of the Rangers after the Civil War into more of a law enforcement group and had done work as a law enforcement officer, you know, in his career. And, and, and because that's a major undertaking, if you think about it, you know, going from, uh, you know, a battalion of, uh, you know, at prior to the Civil War, it was still a lot of uh, uh, more army type military force, you know, than it was after. Uh, and and then you know, with the problems that came after the Civil War, with you know Reconstruction and and the government be, being set up the way it was, and with the you know we have one of the weakest, uh, not not the person himself but statutory governorships in in the united states you know so i would like to like talk to i'm a big you know i like 
organization in and, and when I say organization I don't mean on my desk I mean the program management and, and setting things up that didn't exist before and so I would like to talk to him about you know what were you looking at what did you foresee you wanted it to look like being able to explain to him what it looks like now and ask him is this what you thought it was going to be like you know and if, was that your vision um, I would have I would have liked to have met uh, uh, Lone uh, Manuel Gonzalez and uh, because he was a he went from you know that almost horseback time into the newer times when you're you know you're starting labs and you're starting use radios and airplanes and you know think about all those things that that they saw uh, uh, during that time uh, and I got to you know when you when you say go way back I I got to know and meet you know uh, Ray Martinez still know him you know and. Uh, Joaquin Jackson in those I came in at a very great time I came in at a very great time into the Highway Patrol and I came into a very great time in the Rangers uh, because my Highway Patrol days if you think about the date I I graduated from the DPS Academy in 1984 so our instructors we still had instructors that had been in World War II they were our age you know and we thought they were old then but you know uh we had instructors uh, that were our PT instructors, and they ran it like the Marine Corps, you know. Um, but they were World War II vets, and the guys that I was partners with, let's say I was a 20-year-old kid in the highway patrol, and my partner, training partner, was 35. Those guys had all, you know, that was an era. Those guys were coming back from Vietnam. They were coming back from Korea. They were coming back, you know, had been out of Korea. You know, we still had those people. Uh, some people that had fought in World War II were still on. So it was like this great generation of people that taught me respect you know which is very important in the rangers um and in dps you know uh it's one of those things that i think keeps it apart uh and i'm not saying other departments aren't that way but it's like it's something that's pounded into you from the day you know it's like to smilingly say yes or no yes ma'am no ma'am yes sir in the face of being cussed at you know and it's like pounded into you to do it that way um, you know, we talked earlier about this portrait that I got from a guy that I sent to prison for, <laughs> for life. You know, and it's because uh, if you you just treat everybody with the same level of respect, and I mean up and down. Sometimes you'll have people that that feel they're very important that you treat the same as you would treat anybody else, and they feel you're disrespecting them, and you're not. It's just like, hey, you know, once we're working a crime, I don't care if you're a millionaire, and I don't care if you're a street person. You know. Um, so, what were we talking about, Judge? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just talking about characters from Ranger oh, history that okay. you wish you had known. You mentioned John B. Jones and Lone Wolf Gonzalez and yeah. anyone else? Um, you know, Juan Seguin. I consider him a Ranger. You know, they consider Juan Seguin, they do. And uh, I would like to know how that, think about all that went on in that man's life and how he served and where he served and where he ended up and all that. Uh, you know how was you know I'm a big guy uh, wanting to know about like what I'm talking about with Lone Wolf Gonzalez is how did it start how did you get involved did it turn out the way you thought it would yeah you know uh, I think to his he, he may say no you know didn't turn out exactly the way I wanted it to um, but uh, I don't know um, I'm not a big you know I admire you know Frank Hammer's career and the stuff he did but Man, everybody wants to talk to him. He'd be he'd be a busy guy if everybody could talk to him. <laughs> that wanted to talk to him, uh, but it was yeah. You think about how I'm gonna go rambling, but you think about those how they caught people back then. They didn't have the internet, they didn't have cell phones to follow and all that. And I, one of those things that goes back to the old days. Say how did they? How would you catch a robber in 1868? that yeah. was going across Texas. And I read in a book somewhere, deep in a book, and it hadn't changed. Frank Hammer followed the same way. How would you catch a bank robber in 1848 or 1868 on horseback with no telephones, none of that? You follow the water. Yep. They all got to water their horses in certain places, and we know where that's got to be. You know, 
And same thing when Frank Hammer was chasing Bonnie and Clyde. You got to follow the gas station from this point to that point to this point and start looking. So it's it's not, it was much harder than we do now, but they, there's always been a method, you know. Well, I'm not so sure the method's changed all that much. Not you that still much. want to go where you know that criminal has to go. Right. Now we can do it a lot faster. We can just do it a lot faster. Uh, that's really interesting that you put it that way. Um, what? Uh, let's talk about a couple of cases, uh, if you're willing to. What What is sort of the hardest case you've had to work that you remember? I mean, the hardest case I worked, and this is way before, and I worked many. Like I said, lots of murders. But it was really hard for me and... and before this was a thing, we had a shooting, a mass shooting in Atascosa County that involved all law enforcement. And in that firefight, uh, two deputies were killed. A highway patrolman was killed. Uh, and I think three other officers wounded, one of them very badly. And so I was uh, John Martin, friend of yours, and I were the Rangers who led that investigation. Uh, it was an ambush. He set them up to ambush them. Uh, he had set up, he lived on a, you can explain it to them, people listening, but he lived down a Sendero mm-hmm. in Atascosa County, which is uh, roads built between Mesquite, right? right? And so if you drove down, you could see a mile down this road, but you, all, on both sides of you, it was just Mesquite. And he had had problems with law enforcement. He had some issues. And he, he set up uh, in the mesquite next to the road, he set up gun positions with ammo, ammo packs and rifles at different, all the way down that road. And uh, so he had been in trouble several times for domestic violence. And he would beat his wife. And they, the local sheriff's department put him in jail at Escosa County. He, in his delusional mind, got tired of that, thought they were picking on him, and sets all this up one night, starts drinking, and then calls the sheriff's department and says, I'm fixing to kill my wife. So the units start out, going out there. First deputy gets there. The first deputy to get there gets out of his car. He's behind him in the brush, and he ambushes him. So all the, the and, but he doesn't do it until he can see them checking out. So the guy gets there just like you and I would and say, you know, 2181, Atascosa County, on scene. So the, they're not going to start looking for you for a while, right? And this is very rural. So he gets out. As soon as he gets out, the guy ambushes him, kills him, takes his pistol, and goes back into the brush. Now the next deputy's getting there. And as the next deputy gets there, he doesn't even know this guy's dead. He thinks he's in the trailer dealing with a domestic homicide. He checks out, boom, same thing. The trooper comes up, you know, this is all about 10, 15 minutes, because remember, like we're talking about, it's not like Houston, this is super rural. You know, you call for backup, they're 15, 30 minutes away. The highway patrolman comes up, and he turns in and he sees the two dead deputies. He starts telling them what's going on. He starts backing up, but he backs right into this guy's gunfire, and the guy runs next to the highway patrol car, he's backing up, and just popping him through the door, Hits him in the leg, takes his head off, and the other officers are getting same. A border patrol agent shot. Uh, 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 anyway, so I had several dead people. It was a huge crime scene that John Martin and I worked. I mean, acres and acres of crime scene. And uh, what the hardest part of that deal was for me, I'd seen many dead bodies by then. I worked Murray murders, so it wasn't that. But it was the first time. I had seen a Texas Highway Patrolman in a Texas Highway Patrol uniform blown up like that. And when I walked up to the car and when I walked up to the car, I'm sorry, and I saw him and his head across and his clipboard with his tickets and his trooper badge and all that. It's like I had worked a lot of murders, but that like was seeing somebody in my family dead. And I knew Terry. I knew this trooper. And it's uh, in a way it, it, it's it's because of that and also because it strips you of your um, 
superhero mentality because when I was a trooper, I didn't think it happened to me. And I'd seen deputies killed, I'd seen policemen killed, but I was a state trooper and just in my immature mind at the time, I didn't think it could happen to me, you know? And I knew Terry's wife and I knew his kids and I knew those deputies. And uh, so seeing that uh, was a tough case for me. And I'm saying I've seen, I've seen lots of tough stuff. I mean, it wasn't even the most gruesome, you know, that I've seen. I've seen some terribly gruesome things. Uh, but the reality of that in that high whip troll car, you know, and the, that I'd spent so many years in, that looked just like my car, you know, was a, was a change somewhere in my mind. Well, it really brings it home. Yeah. And uh, people, I don't think, think enough about the effect of police work on the policeman. Yeah. And uh, that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, let's lighten it up a little bit. What, uh, what's your, what were some of your favorite cases to work? Like, was there a type of case where you really like to sink your teeth into it? I mean, cold cases. And I just, I really loved, uh, I'm like, I'm not as smart as you. Oh, that's uh, not but, true. <laughs> but but I, I really enjoy, first of all, I really enjoyed making cases on nuances. Like I would always explain to cops, don't make bad law. Good advice. You know, good advice make, for all of us yeah, in the legal system. Don't make bad law. Half of the half of the the things that keep us from being able to properly prosecute people is of our own making. There's a reason that people that we have the Miranda case. There's a reason that we have all the search and seizure cases because people did bad wrong things, right? So I would always tell officers, don't make bad law, but know the law so that you can work with the law, you know? And I'll give you an example. And I would all, Seguin was just my, that's where I matured into a, a, you asked me about the Liberty thing when I knew I was a ranger, but in Liberty County, I was a street cop ranger, mm -hmm. right? In Seguin, I worked much closer uh, with the uh, district attorney there, Bud Kirkendall. Great mind, great mind. Um, uh, Fallis used to be a Fort Bend County prosecutor, was his chief prosecutor. I knew him from Fort Bend County. And I worked much, I learned more, I, much, I learned much more about becoming a professional legal police officer, you know, or not legal police officer, but knowing the nuances of the law and, you know, search and seizure and in confessions and interrogations and... Uh, I became a branch of that DA's office. I worked there for 10 years, you know, and I, at one point, the, uh, the district attorney there, Bud Kirkendall, because he got tired of re reviewing all of them, he had several counties. So he sent a memo to all the sheriffs within his counties, which made up whatever district that is, Columbus, Gonzales. Mm -hmm. All the way to Comal County. Yeah, all, all the way to Comal, right? He sent out a, a a, a memo to all the sheriff says, look, anybody needing an evidentiary search warrant, which we're not going to get into here, but different than your common search right. but anybody needing an evidentiary search warrant in any of these departments, it has to be approved by Leal, by Ranger Leal. He has to help you write it, read it, or make sure that everything's in the four corners of that document, which I was very flattered at the time. But then wore my ass out because <laughs> it was all these counties needing this stuff done, you know. But that's where I learned. Um, when you asked me about my favorite cases, my favorite cases were those were a a a a criminal thinks they're smarter than law, thinks they're smarter than law enforcement. And uh, I'll give you one example. I had a guy on, a, on an old murder, Mexican mafia murder. And they had a good suspect. They couldn't find him, and then we pick him up. And we knew through witnesses that we thought during when they took this guy under a bridge there in Comel County, they're going to murder this other Mexican mafia associate. But they didn't get to him. Most of their murders were done from behind, 
their their mo is almost always by your best friend and when you get out of the, you know, they got drinking and partying and when you get out to, to, to you know urinate on the side of the road together they pop you in the back of the head i'm telling you i've worked that murder more than one time <laughs> you know but it's always usually somebody you know they would send you to kill me because i would trust you and let you in you know and because of your allegiance to them you would have to do it or they're going to kill you so that's their mo but we knew this guy had taken him out his, his family said no he left with this guy blah, blah, blah. but we knew that during the fight this guy pops him doesn't kill him they kind of fight he ends up killing him but they're fighting over the gun and one round goes into the guy's shin right now that guy can't go to the hospital and that guy it's a 22 that he's using so but we had talked to several witnesses that said we think you know we came into our house since again this one witness and he'd been shot we patched him up and he left and he's been living in laredo and he lived here blah, blah, blah. so we finally picked the guy up this is like years after the murder i'm working on the cocaine squad and uh they can't put him they can't put anything on him they had the gun um and they had the gun matched to the dead to the to the deceased mexican mafia member but they didn't they didn't they couldn't tie the suspect to it so i'm sitting there interviewing the guy and he's in orange on an unrelated case and i pull up his pant leg and i just feel his shin i can feel that bullet under there you know and he looks at me and i told i'll be right back so i called da and this, the da had been fighting with the local authorities because he didn't think they had enough and he, you know sometimes cops think they have enough and you got enough to indict them but a, a prosecutor looks at it like yes you may have enough to get a warrant for probable cause but you don't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's a very, people don't, you know, it, it's a high mark. Yeah, you know? it it's not the same as just arresting somebody. So I called the DA's office. I tell him this is what I got. And he goes, beautiful. And I said, so I, I, I said, can I get a search warrant for it? You know? Yeah. So I get a search warrant to pull that out of the guy's leg. You know? So I take him to the Guadalupe County Hospital. Doctors there are like, I'm not doing it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm not putting somebody under anesthesia because it was deep. He couldn't do local. I'm not putting somebody under anesthesia uh, to remove that because if it, there's the, my insurance liability won't take it. I said, well, I got a court order. And he said, I don't, I'm not going to do it. You know, if the judge wants to hold me in contempt. And everybody knew everybody there. Right. You know, so they wouldn't do it. Uh, anyway, make a long story short, I had worked in Houston so long that I knew a doctor in Houston uh, named Red Duke <laughs> and I explained to him and he goes yeah I'll bring them all up here <laughs> and he didn't hesitate at doing it and we x-rayed it you know and ended up that we didn't have to do it because we took him in they were going to x-ray him they saw it and that was enough you know and even at in Houston they didn't want to like put somebody anesthesia to, to cross that line into that, you know, doing surgery to get evidence, which has been done, uh, but they had enough with the X-ray and it's still being there. And the guy uh, 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 pled, but I always thought it was only Red Duke would have said, "Yeah, bring him up here." Yeah, you know? that's the most Texas thing ever. Red yeah. Duke working with the Texas Rangers yeah. to solve a crime as a surgeon—that's awesome. Let me ask you one more thought question before we close out: How has, if it has, has your philosophy? What is your philosophy of law enforcement? And how did it change through your ranger career, if it did? I mean, my philosophy has always been, first, I don't think, when you see a police officer get indicted, when you see a police officer doing, um, uh, whether, whether it's a bad shoot or a theft or whatever, because remember, they're a subculture of, of humanity, right? So... It's cliche-ish, but everybody says, you know, there's bad doctors, there's bad lawyers, there's bad teachers, there's bad cops, right? But when you see a police officer, very much like teachers, I think, that gets themselves in trouble, it's because they should have never been a police officer in the first place. Um, I was never a police officer because I liked the way I looked wearing a gun. I was never a police officer because I liked the power of being able to make somebody else submit. I was not a police officer uh, uh 
to make myself feel important, which there are cops like that. And those are the cops that ended up shooting somebody they're not supposed to shoot, end up in jail for a civil rights violation, uh, end up in jail for a sexual abuse violation, end up in jail for a corruption investigation. So the, the policemen that I know that are, the men and women that I know and the Rangers and DPS, Houston Police Department, and it's not, I'm not being insincere saying it's the people that truly want to serve and protect humanity, society, as they would their own children from evil, from bad people. And not everybody is cut out to do that, you know? Um, so that was my philosophy when I started. That was my philosophy throughout my career. And it remains my philosophy now. And I, I think that 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 it is, you gotta wanna serve, you gotta wanna serve for, not for the paycheck, because you're not gonna get one. Um, you, you gotta wanna serve because you want to protect. And that's the difference in law enforcement service um, than, uh, it's, it's the same kind of person that makes a good prosecutor, same kind of person that makes a good school teacher, it's the same kind of person that makes a good social worker, except with the, with the nuance of, and you want to protect, and that you're willing to protect, and that you're willing to uh, uh, put your self out there to say if you're going to get to them you're going to come through me so that's that's been my my philosophy i don't have a greater um philosophy that, that some intellectual philosophy that i just that is who our police should be that is who our police and i believe the good ones are and uh yeah, that's, that's i don't it. think it could be said better that was remarkable. All right, last question before we finish. Yes, sir. Uh, tell us what you're up to now in your retirement. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm... What does a retired Texas Ranger do? I went to work in the private sector. I have a, uh, a own with my partners a, a security company here in Houston. We do a lot of uh, what's called level four PPO. I don't do commodity security, so I don't have the guy working for me that's sitting outside of Papacitos in a golf cart kind of security uh, but we do high level security I have a lot of background in that from executive protection from the governor's office legislature and other things uh, we do we work with major oil companies and many of the law firms here in Texas throughout the state and do uh, uh, investigations for them uh, mostly civil um, I have several rangers that work with me and and Houston PD and, and some federal agents that are part of the you know our work our, our workforce so we do specialized investigations for them uh, HR investigations criminal investigations um, and apart from that I am very involved with the Texas Ranger Association Foundation uh, TRAF and uh, commemorating this 200th anniversary and most, of, I don't read much fiction. I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much a history buff and enjoy uh, studying where, you know, like I didn't know, I was reading the other day, uh, you, I'm sure know this, you know, but where did the star come from? You know, we all know that it was made out of Cinco Peso or whatever, but there was a, a in the state legislature in, in uh, 1847, I think, they said that the official symbol that's where we became the lone star state they passed a a a what do you call it? not a law but when they do like a, a resolution resolution or something, yeah. or something that the official uh because this is you know it had to have been before 1847 because we weren't a state yet but that our official deal would be we're the lone star state like on our flag and so and and they wrote any it says in that proclamation that any officer or government entity or, or representing the state will have a patch or insignia of a lone star on them. And uh, so the Rangers took those coins, you know, the, the Cinco Peso, which is another history lesson, and carved that star out of that 
as they we still do today. So that's where that came from. So to answer your question, what I do today is I, I love my family, my kids. I got another grandkid coming. Uh, uh, Logan yep. um, is having a baby this uh, this month. God bless. And uh, so very much a, a work. I don't work as hard as I did when I was in the Rangers. Um, different kind of work. I read a lot about Texas history. I listen to a lot of podcasts like this one, uh, which is a, such a great service to the state. I mean, not, and I'm not saying that because you're, I mean, it, you, you learn things that you would never even think about, you well, know, the history of this that, state. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I do. That's, that's my, history is my hobby. And then the, as you and I have talked, uh, looking into uh, m- m- the past of my family you know that that we have been able to on the on the my father's side uh, trace back literally to the late 1500s well that's a remarkable legacy of the Liao family but much of the legacy of the Liao family going forever forward you yourself have created so retired senior captain Tony Liao thank you so much for being our guest on wise about Texas the first modern era ranger that we've interviewed and uh, I really appreciate it, and thank you for your service to this state. Thank you, Judge. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. Thank you very much for tuning in. Find us on Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter, at Wise About Texas. If you want to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, go to patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas. We appreciate all our supporters. And go out and do something for Texas today. Until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.